This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today, for the first time, we have Doug Goldberg on the show, and Doug's owned and operated Goldberg Law Center for over 30 years. He specializes in the state and business planning law practice. Doug's also played and coached baseball for more than 50 years, and is currently in his third year as a varsity baseball coach at Air Academy High School. Doug is also the current owner and head coach at The Arena which is a 20,000-square-foot, state-of-the-art athletic training center. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me today. It's great to be here. You bet. It's, you know, it's an interesting journey. You and I met through a friend. Right. And you've had a very successful law career and still practice law. Right. And you then also decided to go down the route of coaching baseball at the high school level and starting a state-of-the-art training facility. Tell me about your journey in the law practice and, and what were some of the things that you saw in the law practice that helped you transition into coaching baseball or were they the same? A lot of it's the same, but uh, I'll take you back a little bit. I, um, I played baseball since I was four or five years old and that's how I went to college. They said, well, we want you to come to play baseball at the University of Denver. And I said, great, what's in it for me? And they said, well, we'll pay for your education. My, my mom and dad, have, of course, lit up and said, you know, he's in. So I went there and played baseball and uh, played for four years there and um, signed as a free agent with the Montreal Expo organization after college. And so played a year of professional baseball. And so it's kind of in your blood. And once baseball gets in your blood, if you're a baseball guy, you know that it just never leaves. And so then I started having, uh, my wife and I started having children and neither one of my older two boys decided they wanted to be baseball players, which, which was okay with me. And then my younger one came along and he said, I want to be a baseball player. So he started playing at, uh, when he was four. And so I started coaching his team. And so he's now 22. And so I got into that and I was doing both. I was practicing law, trying to build a, a practice and raise a family and coach baseball. And so you kind of do all those things. And one of my frustrations as a coach, we live in Colorado and it snows here in the spring. And so my kids were just never able to take a, a ground ball inside. And when it snowed or rained, we you know either canceled practice or we'd find a gym somewhere and hit tennis balls. And, and so it was a frustration of mine. And I kept looking at it thinking, well, there's got to be a better way. And I walked into a place in Colorado Springs when I think Trevor was maybe eight and uh, it was called play at the bullpen and it was an indoor baseball place and it had a turf field and i thought i walked in and said i need me one of these and so that's where the dream started and i really just said i i'd love to have one of these i'd love to be able to have kids come in and coach and teach and train and get better at their game and so i'm still practicing law at that time and still practicing law today and so i kept saying well how do we do that how do we do that and so this opportunity came along about maybe five years ago, and the former Colorado Springs Christian School Elementary Campus consolidated their campuses, took the elementary kids up to where the high school and the middle school is, and this became available. So my kids went to CSCS, so I called the superintendent. I said, what are you doing with that property? And he said, well, other than paying the bills, nothing. And I said, well, let's make a deal. So that was uh, about a year of talking and working together, and uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to buy it. And I said, well, uh, what do we want to do? And so my, my middle son, amazingly, is the soccer player in my family. And so he said, well, we don't want to just do baseball. We want to do soccer too. And of course, he's a certified strength coach. And so he said, well, we need a weight room too. And so 
what started as a little dream of having a baseball field inside where my kids could hit and take ground balls turned into a 20,000 square foot state-of-the-art training facility. So that gives you a little bit of background on me. You know, I, I think about as you've pursued these multiple directions and then it's driven by one, you're growing up and to trying to be an influence on your children growing up. You grew up in Colorado Springs, correct? I actually grew up in Denver, moved to Colorado Springs right out of law school. Who were the chief influences early on for you as an athlete? Oh, that's easy. My dad. My dad was always my coach. My dad didn't miss a game of mine, whether it was football or baseball or pick a sport. He didn't miss a game of mine. He was coaching most of them, but he didn't miss a game until I signed a professional contract with the Montreal Expos. And then he couldn't. So he couldn't drive to New York every other weekend, although he did come out for our last homestand and watched us there. But even in college, he would go on our spring trips with us and he would just go to watch. And he was a tremendous influence on me and my life. And so I found out early on, I had a gift of coaching and teaching and, and I loved it. I just wanted to do kind of what he did, and that was have a positive influence on young men. Thinking back to the things that your dad taught you, what are the one or two things you think that he taught you that help you today? One of the things he taught me is you got to have a standard. You have to have some rules, kind of the rules of engagement. You know, you, you have to have a bar that's set, and you can't waver. You know, you've got to strive for excellence. And, you know, sometimes you... You shoot at the stars and you might hit the moon, but if you don't aim high and dream big, you know, you really never get to where you're, where you think you want to be. You'd never know how far you can go until you try. My dad was not an entrepreneur, but boy, he instilled in me a great love to be self-employed and to write my own calendar and unfortunately my own paycheck sometimes. <laughs> but uh, those are the things that he, that he taught me and said, you know, work for yourself and control your own destiny and, and always do the right thing. And my dad was never a guy that had to have 10 things in writing and six lawyers look at every document. He basically was a guy that would look you in the eye, shake your hand and say, that's the deal. And when you made a deal with my dad, he put it in the bank. And it's so, you know, he was a, a great man of his word. You know, that some of those enduring traits, you know, do what you say, honor right. your word, you know, and, and set goals, you know, timeless. You know, it seems to be missing somewhat nowadays. Right. But, you know, before we go too much further down in the, in the visit today, if people want to get a hold of you either as an attorney or here at the arena, how do they reach you, Doug? So one of two places. You can either call my law office, um, 719-444-0300, or my email is doug at fourbushgoldberg.com. My law partner's name is Forbush, F-O-R-B-U-S-H. So fourbushgoldberg.com or the arena, uh, 719-428-5466, 428-LION is uh, the actual term. Or my email here is Doug at wherechampionstrain.net. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Nice. You know, and as you've gone through this journey and you have this multitude of businesses to operate, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, what are the things that you use to keep yourself focused, centered, and on task? Are there specific tools or techniques that you have? Yeah, the biggest tool I use, obviously, is my calendar. I'm running a, a law practice, a trust company, the arena, and my uh, my baseball team at Air Academy. So it's a bit challenging to uh, to keep everything set. So 
you know, we use as much technology as we can. So we have my calendar and, and of course it syncs to my phone and, and email and, and call forwarding and things like that. I think a good assistant is is critical, somebody that can actually help you manage some of the things. So I have two really good people that work full-time for me in the trust company. And we just have an amazing group of uh, young people here at the arena that they can kind of do things on autopilot almost. But uh, we have, I, I think it's critical in doing what we do as lawyers and our trust company in particular, we have to have some systems and processes. And mm -hmm. so if we don't build those systems and processes, you don't have a chance. Things get too busy and they get too wild. And so we have very specific follow-ups and very specific checklists and things that we use on a regular basis to just kind of keep us organized. The aviator checklist. Right, exactly. Yes. Very well. You know, and, and you know, through your journey, I think about many attorneys will stay in their practice throughout their entire lives and along the way where you ran across that indoor place to hit a ball and get a ball where you're not snowed on, what was, take us to that moment where you said, I'm going from thinking about this to doing this. What was that like? For me, it was a, just kind of a natural progression of what I'd always wanted to do. I thought, well, this makes a great deal of sense. I never thought that I would ever get rich in an indoor athletic training facility. And, and so far that's come to pass. But, um, you know, I, I, I love practicing law. I love the people. I love the stories. I love the families we represent. And I'm thrilled with uh, the people that we've been blessed to represent over the years. And I don't want to do any less of that in terms of relationship. I just want to do less of that in terms of volume. And I want to grow our relationships deeper with them. We have clients that have been clients of ours for 20 years. And in the law business, that's not terribly, well, I guess it's, it's a bit unique. And so when I thought, I really want to do this, and I really, and I, I remember the day that I signed the contract to, to buy this property. <laughs> and we were just leaving to go on a spring trip with my Air Academy baseball team. And I thought, holy smokes, what have I done? And I got down to New Mexico and I thought, huh, this is going to be a real thing. And so it was a real different mind shift for me in terms of thought process and in terms of what am I going to be doing day to day and how do I manage that business with my current law practice and, and not really phase out, but really sort of restructure and remanage my time. So it's kind of a kind of a revelation on my four or five hour drive down to New Mexico that uh, I thought, huh, that this, this is really happening. You know, and as you dream and put it together and, you know, you have your business plan for the new arena and you go, you know, here, here's going to be my client or clients, you know, and this is how I think this is going to come to pass. How close were you? Pretty close. Um, you know, this is a retail type business. The law business is not a retail business, although you could probably argue that it is. But both businesses are very heavily relationship based. But I really underestimated what would happen on a day-to-day -day basis at the arena. People coming in and buying a Gatorade and using the cages. I just sort of thought that that was a no big deal. Um, I underestimated the volume, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also underestimated the amount of work that it takes to run a retail operation. And the, just the number of, oh, I guess for lack of a better term, complaints. People come in and say, hey, this isn't working. Hey, that isn't working. Well, 
They don't do that in your law business. They don't say, hey, my trust isn't working or hey, my, my business isn't working. They say, how can I plan and, and create? And it's a much more creative process in the law business. So I underestimated that a bit. My son, Eric, who was, was wonderful in helping us put together the business plan here because he knew what was going on. And I underestimated a bit some of the things we were right on. Some of the things have happened exactly as we thought. Other things we thought, you know, these are going to be home runs for lack of a better term, just fell flat. And other things that we never anticipated have just been wonderful ads. So, so I, I think we were 80%. You know, as, as you've gone through the journey, you know, with the law business and professional baseball, we talked beforehand, you know, in the baseball world, baseball will tell you when you're done. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, at some point, everybody's done playing baseball at whatever level. I was watching the World Baseball Classic last night. And John Smoltz is uh, one of the announcers. Well, you know, there's a guy that, that had a tremendous big league career is in the Hall of Fame now, but he's done playing. And so at some point, the game says you're done, whether you're too old or you're too injured. My youngest son is, has had some tremendous adversity, uh, and he's a very, very talented player. But... You know, he's had three arm surgeries and a knee surgery. And so he's 22 years old, he's done. And um, so, you know, as a young man, I was done at age 21. And so, you know, you get that, that letter in the mail that says, um, we're granting you your unconditional release. You know, I gave that to my dad. I said, what does that mean? He says, well, in the real world, we just call that getting fired. And so, you know, it's, it's different. Um, but, you know, the, the game is a game of adversity and which is a, tr a tremendous teaching tool, but it's also a, a game of passion. And it's a game that, um, you know, you got to be smart to play baseball. There's some other sports that honestly, you don't have to be very smart. You have to be physically talented. Baseball, you've got to be very, very smart to play the game. It's just, it's kind of like a chess game. And at some point, whether it's age or injury or whatever, you're done playing. And so, but if you're, if you're a baseball guy, it just never leaves your blood. So you, you kind of find other ways to, uh, to stay involved. You know, it, it is, as we, you and I have obviously visited before, and I, I enjoy chatting about your passion for the sport. You know, and as you go through and, and you look at what you've got going on now, what are you most excited about here at the arena that's up and coming for you guys? You know, I'm really excited about our soccer programs. I'm not a soccer guy. My, my son, Eric, is the soccer guy. And I had to learn the game. You know, he had a passion for the game at age four. We put him on the field. He came home and said, that's what I want to do with my life. He was planning on, you know, playing soccer professionally, internationally. And uh, when, when he was six, um, ended up playing soccer professionally in Florida. And uh, so he did a great job and he continues to play. But I'm, I'm really excited to watch our young baseball players and our young soccer players in particular. We get a lot of athletes here. We, we train kids that are eight. We train Olympic athletes. We train professional athletes and, and kind of everybody in between all sports. We have MMA fighters and we have Olympic judo athletes and figure skaters and people from all walks of athletics. And, but I'm really excited for the young people I see walk in and just to watch the light you know, turn on and shine in their eyes as they, they go through their sport. We've got some very unique training tools for soccer and, and baseball that, uh, that we're implementing and just to watch the growth and just to watch the number of kids that have opportunity. I, I guess that's kind of in a nutshell why I wanted to build the place is to give people, give kids an opportunity. And when I see kids that have an opportunity and some even, you know, aren't able to pay for it, 
but we can scholarship them because that's why we built the place. So it's almost a ministry for us at some point as well and give them opportunity. I just, um, I just love being involved in the young kids' lives. It's that pebble in the pond business. You never know, you know, as you go out and make a difference. You know, as you, you left professional baseball, you went back to get your law degree. And of course, you're face down in the books till you're done. Right. And then you go, now I'm a law entrepreneur. What were your thoughts as you left law school and getting ready to start your practice? Well, I went into practice the first uh, year and a half with my father-in-law and um, and two other lawyers. And honestly, when they told me I was going to be billing my time at $70 an hour, I did the math. I thought I was going to be rich. I thought I was going to be rich. I'd be retired in 10 years. You know, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. This is an easy thing. And then I found out that I didn't go get a job. What I ended up with was uh, basically a partnership. And so they said, here's your stack of files. We're going to create the business for you and you go do the work and you build the work. And when we get paid on the work, you get a third of it. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to be, I'm going to have so much money. I won't know what to do with until I found out that little part where they said, when we get paid for the work, then you get a third. And so for eight weeks, I didn't make a dime. I, I had no money. I went home and told my wife, they've lied to me. The law school has lied to me. We're going to be broke. We're going to be bankrupt in, in six months. And of course, she had a job and she wasn't thrilled to hear that. So it was, uh, it was different. But I, you know, I had friends that went right out of law school and got jobs with big firms. And you know, they were making their big salaries and traveling and all that. I just never wanted to do that. I've just always been a guy that wanted to rather be on commission than I would on salary. Um, I've always been a guy that said, Hey, you know, God gave me a great brain and he gave me some drive and desire and passion and I'd rather go do it on my own. So the entrepreneurial part meshing with the law part was tough, but within a couple of years, I developed some really good clients and, um, and, and really had the basis of a, of a very strong practice. Looking back over time, what do you think was the best piece of advice you ever received? Wow, that's a great question. And I, I think, again, it came from my dad and he said, don't ever let anybody control your, your life. You know, you control your life. Don't let them control your calendar. If they tell you when you can get up and when you can go on vacation and when you have to be there, they own you. And I thought that was never attractive to me. So right or wrong, I tell people I've really only had two jobs ever in my whole life. One was playing baseball, so I'm not sure you count that as a job. But um you know, the other one is uh, I, I worked for my dad's company when I was a young man and, and found out, boy, I just didn't want to work for somebody. I was not really a good employee. So I think when he said, you know, call your own shots, do your own deal, take control of your own life, that's probably the best advice I got. You know, there's, there's wisdom there. And, you know, and the thing that strikes me about all of this is you're just an intense competitor. It doesn't matter whether it's baseball <laughs> or law or coaching. I mean, that's an enduring trait. It is. One thing, it, it keeps you from being satisfied for any length of time. It does that, for sure. <laughs> and uh, makes my wife crazy most of the time, but she's a saint. You know, in, in looking over your, your career, and you, you arguably have had successful careers, and this is, you know, I guess, the third one, or maybe a repeat of the first one. Right. What's the one thing that if somebody was listening to you, you would tell us the critical component of being successful? And that's a good question. I had somebody ask me one time, in fact, it was one of our guys here at the arena. I walked in one day and he said, all right, they call me coach here at the arena. So he says, all right, coach, 
as a leader, what's the number one thing that you need to have? And I just thought about it for maybe 10 seconds. And, and the word that comes to me is courage. Boy, you got to have courage to be a leader and you got to have courage to be a business owner. And I tell my kids at Air Academy, the first thing you got to do is make a choice because every day we make choices. We make hundreds of choices every day, what to do, what to eat, you know, where to go, things to do, things not to do. And once you make a choice, you know, you got to commit to the choice. Choice and commitment only go so far because then the rough times hit. And, you know, I tell people in the law business all the time when we start talking about creating their business and they're excited about building a new business and, and getting it started, I always talk to them about what are we going to, how are we going to get out of this business? And they say, wait a minute, you know, I'm get, just getting into business. And I say, right. So you've got, you made the choice and you've got now with a commitment, you need to have the courage to ride this thing through because the bad times will come and we never think about that. We always think about the good times. And so it's been great for me as a lawyer, because as a lawyer, my job is really to help people identify and analyze downside risk and ask the questions of what if this bad thing happens and then help them plan for that. And that's been the best thing that, that I've been able to do is to kind of have the courage to, to see those things through. I think courage and discipline, you know, many of those things run hand in hand. You know, in, in wrapping this up, because uh, you have um, a spring set of games down in Phoenix to get ready for, any parting piece of advice that you would have to somebody that's either looking at the law side of the house or, or looking at uh, baseball, any piece of advice you might offer to them? Yeah, I talk to young people a lot and they say, I'm thinking about going to law school. What do you think? And I said, you know, if I had to do all of it over again, I would absolutely go to law school again. It's one of the best experiences I ever had. Whether I actually practice law or how you practice law or what you do as an entrepreneur or a business owner, I might do some of those things differently, but I would absolutely go to law school. It's one of the best things that you can ever do. Learn how to think, learn how to think on your feet, learn how to analyze and learn how to just really dig in and, and look at things from a different perspective. And I would just tell you, you know, there's bad things will come. You know, we've had adversity in our life. We've had, you know, we had a baby die at four months old. I had some significant medical issues that caused me to have to restart my law practice a time or two. So the, the bad times are going to come. You just got to have the courage to see it through. And my, my personal belief is you know, I'm a Christian and God's going to take care of you. God promised never to leave you or forsake you. And so lean on that, trust that. And that's, that's the best advice I could give. That's great stuff, Doug. I really appreciate you taking time out of the busy schedule here. And if you heard a little noise in the background, that's some of the athletes <laughs> rattling around the place here. Yes, sir. So make it a great day and good luck on the tournament. Yeah, thanks, Bob, so much. You bet.